Hello, Sobertown listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Early Days with Michael. We're talking about those things that happen in early sobriety, be it your first or second go around at getting sober, or those of us seasoned professionals who have set down the bottle and picked it up a number of times. There are a lot of similarities that we see around this phase of addiction, and I'm hoping to crack the code and open the conversation and do what we can to break down some of the stigma surrounding these things. Today, I want to talk about cravings. I found a really great definition for this on BRC Healthcare's website. They called cravings an obsessive, all-consuming urge to use your drug of choice. And that just resonates. Obsessive, all-consuming. That feels right, doesn't it? For those of us who have attempted sobriety and then found ourselves in the heat of a craving, it absolutely feels all-consuming. It's the only thing you feel like you can think about until you take some sort of an action on it. And it can feel crippling. So what sort of things can cause cravings? Things like emotional state. A big one for me personally is anxiety or stress. Oftentimes when I'm feeling overwhelmed in my life, the desire for me to check out and unplug becomes my driving factor for wanting to drink, wanting to escape. I call it escapism. And this is not uncommon. A lot of people in this community share similar experiences. Another really common one is joy, happiness, celebration. You know, it's the complete opposite end of the spectrum. But this is another thing that a lot of people struggle with. Feeling like using alcohol is the only way to celebrate. And so much of that comes back to pre-programming, what we've been taught, what we see in the media. Once you open your eyes, to the marketing campaign that has been used for alcohol, you cannot unsee it. But we have been trained to believe that it is a necessary part of life to get through sadness, to get through hard days, to wind down at the end of your week, or to celebrate, pop the champagne at New Year's, etc. It's just, it's a constant barrage in media There is a constant barrage of messages coming at us on all sorts of platforms telling us you have to drink to get through life. And it's simply not true. The more time we start to spend in recovery, the more we can learn that we can have fun and we can do hard things and we can do all this without leaning on alcohol or our other drugs of choice. The reality of cravings, though, is when you are in the middle of it, it can feel absolutely endless. It can feel like it is never going to go away. And you have no choice but to respond to that craving. That is certainly a trap that I have fallen into numerous times. A lot of us who struggle with addiction feel the need for instant gratification. Many of us did not learn coping skills and coping mechanisms early on to be able to deal with discomfort, to be able to sit in an uncomfortable emotion. So something like, for example, my situation when I'm feeling stressed or overwhelmed, my go-to reaction is not to sit with that uncomfortable emotion. It's not to process it. It's not to actually put the thought into what is going on, what is fueling this, what can I control and what can't I control. No, my knee-jerk reaction is to numb it. I got to shut this feeling up. This is really uncomfortable. This sucks. (laughs) It's not fun. 
And so this kind of leads to this phenomenon where a lot of us end up feeling like we drank against our will or we used against our will. We feel like our own bodies are not even in our control. And we wake up the next day kicking ourselves and feeling that shame for going down that road again. And how did I find myself here? How did I do this again? I know better. There's this cognitive dissonance thing going on in our brains that Annie Grace speaks about. And I think it's a fabulous topic to learn a little bit about if you haven't, where we hold conflicting beliefs inside of ourselves. Our conscious and our subconscious brains believe two different things. And trying to reconcile those two beliefs is next to impossible. So it results in these situations where the outcome feels hopeless. And a lot of times we just go through the motions of doing what we've already known how to do before. We drive ourselves to the liquor store or we reach for whatever might be easy at hand. We often surround ourselves with people who maybe don't know about our journey or don't necessarily support it. And they'd be happy to actually see us drink again. That's the person that they know. That's the person that they miss. And we certainly know how to reach out to the people that are going to support us in sobriety or support us in our active addiction. I've certainly done it numerous times myself. So the question that comes up, of course, in the face of cravings then is how do we resist this hopeless feeling? What do I do? You know, and again, it comes down to getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. We have to start recognizing our triggers. We have to learn what are those things that push me to this point. And in early, early days, the first 30, the first 60 days, it may be anything. It may be you're walking on a hair trigger. You're still getting the actual chemicals out of your system for the first 30 days, at least. Even the physical symptoms can lead you to cravings and can lead you to want to drink again. But after we start to get past that physical point, so much of it has to do with our pre-programming, with what our non-existent coping mechanisms look like, learning how to navigate those uncomfortable emotions without responding to them in the way that we are used to doing from previous history. One of the big tools that many recovery experts will talk about is distraction. You hear this number, and I, I don't know how accurate it is. I think every craving is a little bit different. But the rule of thumb is that an average craving will last about 20 minutes. And I think that is actually referring to that all-consuming urge that we talk about. I think that milder cravings can probably last much longer than that. But that really hopeless kind of feeling, I think you could probably ride it out in about 20 minutes. One of the best ways to get past that is to change what you're doing. You need to actively try to distract yourself. One of my go-to soothing activities is coloring. Coloring, rock painting, crafty things that get my hands busy. I can put some music on. That might not be the best activity for me in an active craving, because the thing I like about that is it's almost meditative for me. It gives me an opportunity to be quiet with my thoughts and really introspective. So when it comes to an actual intense craving, what I should be looking for is something that's going to move my body and my mind, get me thinking about something different. Reading can be a great example for me because it's something that it requires my brain to focus its energy on something else. For a lot of people, it might be television or movies. It could be listening to a podcast. 
anything that engages your brain and kind of changes that train of thought so that you can break those ruminating thoughts that are just obsessively cycling in your brain. There's a number of tools that therapists can provide as well that help break those ruminating thoughts. I started doing a little bit of cognitive behavioral therapy earlier this year, and she gave me some tricks about utilizing, you know, ice water, chilled water and putting your face in a bowl of cold water. Because changing your physiological state can actually change the stress hormones and the things that respond when you're in these situations with these ruminating obsessive thoughts. And it really works. It's amazing stuff. So really doing something to, to actively change your thought patterns and trying to break yourself away from obsessing on this, fantasizing about this, romanticizing this. This is a big thing that a lot of us do. Our addictions want us to only remember the good times. And so we start thinking about how much fun we've had or, you know, the last time that we partied with our friends and we had a great time or it's very quick to dismiss the misery. It's very quick to not take you back to the days following that good time where you were miserable and you were kicking yourself and you were sick and you were guilt ridden and full of shame. That's what we refer to as playing the tape forward. And that can be a great activity in the face of a craving as well. Recognize that your brain is only focusing on the positives that it perceives that you've had from alcohol and drugs in the past and really push yourself to keep going through that. Okay, if I picked up that drink tonight, what would happen? Well, for me, I know I'm not going to stop at one drink. I may not stop at 10 drinks. I am going to keep going until I likely pass out or black out. And Lord knows what happens after that. And I will definitely feel awful the next day. I'm going to feel way worse than I do in that moment with that uncomfortable emotion that's going on at that point. That can just be very difficult to grasp when you're really wrestling with one of those one of those cravings. Another big tip and something that we tend to push as a major tool in recovery is leaning on those who are already in recovery. Reach out and talk to somebody who's been there, who's been through this, who can relate to you. In AA or other 12-step programs, you hear them refer to the 100-pound telephone, right? It feels like the hardest thing to do. For those who are in early sobriety, maybe trying this the first couple times, you might feel uncomfortable with doing that. It might feel embarrassing. There's, there's guilt and there's all these strange emotions that are wrapped up in that that might kind of dissuade you from doing it. But I tell you what, you get a hold of somebody who is in recovery and they're going to be so happy and so proud of you that you just reached out. Now, those of us who are, quote unquote, the seasoned professionals, right? We have started and stopped numerous times. We tend to suffer from a different problem. And this is something I recognize in myself and I talk a lot about. And it's hitting that fuck it button. It's where I recognize all of these things, everything I'm talking about right now. I know the craving. I have spotted it. I have tried to play that tape forward. I know my next action should be to pick up that phone and call somebody, tell somebody about this craving, tell somebody, I'm thinking about going out and getting booze. Let's talk through this. And I literally consciously make the decision and go, no, I'm not going to do that. And that simple action has messed me up countless times. And every time I kick myself after the fact, I look back, I play that night back and I say, that's definitely where I could have changed this. There are a hundred places you can change the trajectory of a craving, by the way. But that one where for me, where I'm literally looking at 
I recognize I should reach out and talk to somebody about this, and I actively choose not to, is what I am battling at this phase in my recovery. I recognize now for me between about 90 and 120 days is a very slippery time for me. And it's when I need to actively start reaching out. It's when I start watching. I need to start watching my thought patterns and realize that my addict brain gets, he gets tricky around this time. It gets really sly, really sneaky. And I need to be on my A game. I need to be calling it out. I need to be talking to others because when I'm not and when I'm keeping all that inside is when I self-destruct and I go back to drinking. And that's a pattern I am so tired of repeating. So the bonus of it is that it's given me a lot of practice with these early days to be able to talk to you about it and hopefully help you maybe make a different choice when, when presented with these options. I was talking to someone on the ladies' Zoom the other day and she said, I kept waiting for an opportunity. I kept waiting for a time when I would want to pick up the phone and call that person, when that's what I would want to do. And that never happened. It's never going to be what I want to do in that moment. But it's something I have to push myself to do anyways. And I think that's something that I really want to hold on to next time. I'm not going to want to do it. It's not going to feel like the easy solution. But I need to push myself to do it anyway. So asking for that help, it's a total game changer. One other thing that I would strongly recommend is making sure if you are going to be going into an environment where you know alcohol or drinking or drugs are going to be present, that you have a plan, that you map this out in your head in advance. I personally, if I'm going out to a bar, primarily a bar that serves food for dinner, I'm looking at their menu before I even go there and I'm figuring out what sort of non-alcoholic beverages they have available. Or if I can't do that, I have a couple in my mind that are my go-tos. I really like a club soda with lime. I find that very refreshing. Iced tea if it's available. And so have those drinks that are kind of your go-tos so that when that waitress comes around and asks you what you would like to drink, you don't start listening to that little voice in your head that says, well, they got plenty of beer here or nothing else sounds good. You already know what you're going to answer with and what your intentions are on being there. Have an exit strategy in mind. Have, you know, your vehicle or have your Uber lined up or know what you're going to do if it gets on in the night and you're uncomfortable and you're wrestling with cravings. There is zero shame in leaving an event early to protect your sobriety. I know it may feel like it, but believe it or not, very few of those people are judging you in your sobriety. We feel like it. We internalize all this shame and all this guilt. And so much of that is wrapped up into stigmas against addiction to begin with. But you're going to be so proud of yourself for making that decision the next day. We do not owe anybody our presence. We do not owe anybody anything. We do not owe them our sobriety for sure. So when you need to do whatever action it takes to keep you safe, be sure that you will do that. Try to remember, cravings will pass. They are temporary. No, it doesn't feel like it in the moment. But if you can ride it out, if you can reach to a friend, if you can change what you're doing, get your mind on something else, you're going to get through it and you are going to be so proud of yourself. And the more you start to do that, the more you flex that sober muscle and the easier it becomes. It's like starting at a gym, right? The first time you lift weights, you're going to have to start small and build up steadily. But 
the more you do it, the stronger you get and the the easier all of this becomes. So thank you listeners for joining me today. There's my two cents on cravings and what to do in the face of them. If you have other topics or things that you would like me to discuss, please feel free to reach out to me via email at earlydayspc at gmail.com. Earlydayspc, as in podcast, at gmail.com. I look forward to speaking with you more. Take care of yourselves. Stay strong out there. I believe in you.